0: Hello, and welcome to The Home Building Hero, where we help you become the hero of your new home by providing you all the information that you need, no matter if you're building, buying, or designing your next project. We got you covered here at The Home Building Hero. We are brought to you today by Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin Studios. And I'm here with very special guest, Allie Wolf, Chief Economist from Zonda. Allie was the Director of Economic Research for Myers Research, and she's a national presenter and economic thought leader. And we're very fortunate to have her here. Welcome to the Home Building Hero, Allie. How you doing?
1: Hi, David. Good. Thanks for having me.
0: Uh, I am uh, I'm very excited for you to be here, Allie, and I'm so glad you could join us. Um, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and your background?
1: Sure. So, as mentioned, I'm Allie Wolf with Zonda. Some of you may have heard of Zonda when we were branded before Metrostudy, Myers Research, Hanley Wood. We've now come under one umbrella. So under Zonda, we're a housing data and consultancy firm. And so for my role in the company, I need to step back and look at what's going on nationally and internationally. I need to look at what's happening with policy to then put it all together to figure out why that matters for the housing market. So I've worked with my company now. I think I'm on five years, and then before that, I worked for another consulting firm. And then in the past, I also was a researcher for both the Canadian and UK parliaments.
0: That that's quite a background. So, uh, what what got you into this industry, and uh, you know, how how did you get started in this? What 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 drove you this direction?
1: Yeah, so that's a great question, and I think it partly started with my mom. She was a reporter for Bloomberg News when I was growing up, and we were born and raised in Cleveland. One of our spare bedrooms was converted into her home office, and she would always just talk about what she heard on the latest earnings call, or she would say, oh, I just had a CEO, or an interview with the CEO of Walmart, or whatever it was. And there was something that always just sounded fascinating about her talking about what she heard from these big companies. But then I also wanted the hard data. I didn't necessarily want to run a business, but I realized that economics kind of allows you to look at both of those two things. So I fell in love with econ, but as I went through my education, I realized you don't really, you can be an economist, but you have to apply it to something. And my senior year at the Ohio State University, I took a class called housing economics. And from that day forward, I just knew I really loved housing and what it meant for not only the economy but what it means for people to you know have that place that's their home.
0: Yeah it's um, that's kind of neat how you uh, kind of followed in your, your your mother's footsteps a little bit with um, you kind of being out there and then I see a lot of it, your stuff posted on LinkedIn and I've uh, enjoyed it from a distance for a while and I was like oh I, I definitely got to get you on the show here because you know we're, we're speaking the same language here with housing and uh, um, you know I, I like to share this kind of information with with my listeners as well, because it, it, it's fascinating. And, and of course, this year has been uh, very different uh, in a lot of ways, uh, not only just with going through election, but then going through COVID and um, all these crazy things going on and, and how it's kind of affected our industry and throwing our predictions out the window and so on and so forth. So uh, I think this will be kind of neat to hear your perspective on it. And then um, I want to look forward a little bit to 2021 and see what uh, where your thoughts are on things so I think a lot of people are kind of like ready for 2020 to be over and ready to turn a new page into 2021.
1: Well and even to that point you're talking about throwing our predictions out the window it was actually to the to the positive which I think a lot of us if you remember back to March a lot of us thought we were throwing our predictions out the window and things were going to get really bad and yes. that's obviously not what happened this year.
0: Yeah, it was it was like a tale of two two years for us because the first half of the year we were like planning for us like okay let's um, let's plan that we're not going to sell anything the rest of the year um, and mm-hmm. just go into survival mode for a little while and see what happens here and um, you know we when our lockdown ended here we it it kind of exploded it was like turning the faucet all the way on and it's been busy ever since and um, so yeah I mean if you would have told me we we'd be at where we are now. Uh, in March, I I wouldn't have believed it. I said that's then this whole thing's a hoax or something because there's just no way. And <laughs> and uh, um it it's been good. So and and that's I'm glad to to hear you know that kind of nationally that's the same same way that things are going well. Um, so, oh
1: for sure. And that's sorry. And that's what was really weird this year too. Is for a while it wasn't happening across the board. There were parts of the housing market that was doing well and parts that were struggling and now it really is it almost doesn't matter where you live or what price point you're catering to things are great.
0: Yeah, it's it's picked up and obviously uh people have seen a, a need for housing and uh when you're you're forced to be at home all the time uh I think that changes a lot of people's perspectives and and when you're home all the time too and you're looking at <laughs> you know looking at that same room all the time and uh probably accelerates your 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 desire for for some change I would think. So uh, we'll, oh, yeah. we'll talk about that in a little bit. I wanted to uh, jump into one more thing that you mentioned in your intro first. Um, basically, you kind of mentioned that um, you were a researcher um, in Scotland and then also for the Canadian Parliament. So, I uh, just want to hear a little bit more about that. That's obviously kind of interesting. And uh, I'd like to hear what you did there and, and how that all came to be.
1: The, uh, those both were really fun experiences. So, I also, as much as I love economics, I love politics almost as much. and I think initially I said, oh, I want to get a degree in in political science, and I wanted to see what it was like, and so I have a minor in political science, and when I first went to grad school, my original degree was supposed to be international political economy. I wanted to combine both the politics with the economics, but I realized you don't necessarily need a degree in that. It almost can be, you know, a passion, but I kind of came to the conclusion after going and working at those two parliaments. So, one, it's a really fun experience because you feel like a VIP, like you're, you know, 25 years old walking into these parliament buildings with these badges that no one else has, and you oh, walk by awesome. all the guards, and it was really fun. But what I what I found is, and I liked it, and I didn't like it. So I would sometimes read my, so they're called MPs, your member of parliament. I would read my MPs mail, and people, their constituents, would send them just the craziest things, and they would say. I'm really annoyed that my neighbor hasn't microchipped their dog, and I feel like microchipping should be a national agenda, piece. And I liked that because then I had to research microchipping dogs and I had to write back to constituents like, dear Paul, here's our take on microchipping. And I liked that, but then it was also like, you almost got so many random requests. The research part was fun, but kind of the, the maddening amount of, of requests was also, I think, a bit too much for me to handle at that point
0: yeah I could imagine and and just it feels like you have you know thousands of bosses and and you get everybody's problem, right everybody's got a problem yeah. that they want solved and you can't help everybody or solve every single problem and yeah that's got to be tough to kind of manage that i that's always I, I always have an interest in politics as well, but I'm like, yeah, I don't think I'd want to be dealing with that on a day-to-day basis all the time
1: (laughs) yeah exactly yeah and then you would also get like messages that are like this is my third message that I've sent you and so then not only can you not please people but if you're not prompt enough like you obviously have so many other things to worry about but yeah it just it felt very never-ending but it was fun that you got to research and I think that probably sparked my love of research because you just everything came and you had to say okay well why does that matter and what have we seen about that in the past and it was fun in that part for sure.
0: That's exciting. So since we're talking politics, we'll, we'll jump to the the most uh, appropriate question here r- with regards to that. So um, obviously the election, we think it's all over. <laughs> uh, we don't know. But yep. um, uh, how, how do you think the presumptive election of Joe Biden will affect housing in the next couple of years? Because that's obviously the big question that our industry has is how, how is, uh, you know, having him in there uh, with the current makeup, how is that going to affect our industry?
1: Yeah. And I love this question because I find people on the left are just, oh, he'll be good for housing. And the people on the right is, oh, he'll be bad for housing. Like everyone just goes to their their political stance to say whether or not he's going to do good or bad things. But I find most people, regardless of party, haven't actually been on his website. He has a transition website that goes through each of the different categories. And he literally has a page that spells out what his intentions are for the housing market. Of course, that depends on what happens with the Senate runoff on January 5th and what happens to the, does he have enough control? Is there a blue wave or, or is there gonna be a divided government? But I, I think the biggest thing that stood out to me because if you go through his website, it's a lot about um, trying to stop redlining and to ensure that you know mortgages can get across the board no matter, your ethnicity. So there's a lot of just like get rid of discrimination. But the biggest thing is this idea that they wanna throw out a first time buyer tax credit of $15,000. And this is more money than what we saw coming out of the great financial crisis when we had, I think it was two or three different first time buyer tax credits. Uh, that's one thing that they really want to push through. And I also take comfort in, if you look at the economy, housing is the strongest sector, no matter what. It doesn't matter what sector you're looking at, we are the strongest sector. And I believe that our elected officials are going to pay attention to that and say, okay, if we want this momentum to continue, we need to do what we can to support that strong sector. So I think there's a little bit of a a positive kind of thought process on it, plus the actual $15,000 if it gets pushed through. More or less though, I think it'll be more status quo than anything else. It's just kind of what we've been dealing with will probably continue. There's not going to be any kind of policy that's going to break our strength or anything like that.
0: Sure. that makes sense. And I I wasn't aware of the first time buyer credit. So thanks for bringing that up. I know uh, when they had that originally, when it was the $10,000 one, uh, when president Obama was in that, you know, was a driver for some people and obviously first time home buyers, I think are really struggling and really challenged right now just because of the affordability issue with with homes, and we're we're going to kind of touch on that a little bit too. But uh, I think that's the challenge that that is out there that there's just not enough affordable housing stock. and And an incentive is great. I think obviously there's other issues with regulation that are are causing some of that. But uh, um, that's good to hear. And then uh, I'm going to ask you about this really quickly too. Is is I've heard obviously interest rates are expected to stay low for probably a year and a half, two years. Is is that something that you agree with?
1: This one I struggle with a lot. So where you're coming from um, is from the Federal Reserve who has come out and they've said, this is our commitment. We're going to keep interest rates low. And most forecasters, I would say including ourselves, do expect that rates will stay low for the foreseeable future. The only thing we have to, and that probably is within the, the year window that you're talking about, maybe a little bit longer. The only thing we have to take into consideration with the interest rates is that they're low right now because the economy is still struggling and we have a push to keep interest rates low, to have people spend money, to have that then stimulate the economy. If we get the vaccine and all of a sudden we get back to normal and we go out and we're spending money like crazy and the economy is thriving, there shouldn't be this low of interest rates. That doesn't make sense. True, that makes so sense. you'll have to watch what happens yeah, to the economy to then understand what happens to interest rates.
0: Yeah, and I, I had obviously heard as well that you know now that we have the vaccine, that was uh, kind of one of the, the caveats. If if the vaccine came out and it was working, that that mm-hmm. that could uh, precipitate seeing a, a a bump in rates. But uh, I think they still you know know that we have a lot of uh, jobs to fill in those other sectors and a lot of a lot of people that are still out of work um, just because of the industries that they're in, especially the entertainment industry and the you know the. Um, the food industry and things like that where they just haven't been able to get back to any semblance of normality yet so uh, yeah be kind of interesting to follow how that that goes together and and obviously the employment part of it as well I think that's kind of interesting just to see how many people shift into different fields and how many people get back into the original field that they were unemployed from and I think that'd be kind of an interesting thing to follow I don't know if you have any other insight on that
1: well, in two things. One, you've heard of some people that have left or are looking to switch industries because, yeah, right now they're in. Think, I mean, OK, the good example is think about the great financial crisis when housing was crushed. We had so many people leave our industry. They're yes. like, oh, I don't want to I don't want to get into there. Some of them end up in the service sector and now service sector is crushed. You could see a little bit of movement between sectors as people, especially because Demand is so high for construction labor right now. I know it's not that easy to just switch jobs and and learn new skills, but yeah, I think we should watch part. that. Yeah, exactly. But uh, what you were mentioning too about the vaccine and that there's still you know there's still some issues along the way. Still a lot of people that don't have jobs. I will say, the winter makes me particularly nervous. I, I'm sure this is no surprise to anyone, but with the hospitalizations going up and seeing some of the not only the reversals of the reopenings but people saying i'm not going to go out because it doesn't feel safe to do so and us choosing or being told not to go out that's not good for the economy and growth too so things could get a little bit bumpy between now and when the vaccine actually gets implemented which could then be better news for interest rates um, but not as good news for the economy
0: yeah no that makes sense thank you for for clarifying that and. Uh... Yeah. I mean, I agree with you on our industry. I mean, we coming out of the last recession, we lost about half our workforce and most of them didn't come back. And so we're still struggling. I think that's why there's some capacity issues with construction and, um, you know, builders might have the demand to build more homes, but they don't have the manpower necessarily to complete them. And you can't necessarily take somebody, you know, that's worked in the service sector and throw them on a job site right away. Yep. And and the problem is a lot of builders and a lot of contractors are so busy, they don't have the time to just completely grind to a complete halt and take somebody and mentor them from day one all the way up. So that's going to be a challenge. And it's a hard industry to get into because there's not necessarily a really clear defined pathway for a lot of people in the trades. So that's something we struggle with. But uh, yep. um, you had mentioned too uh, earlier, I saw you post something about uh, builders, uh, you know, having a lot of pre sales, uh, but they're not really seeing those move into construction yet. Do you have any data on that or any thoughts on why that is and um, kind of what's going on there?
1: Yeah, it's been an interesting year in that. So, just to rewind, so March and April, housing market gets crushed six to eight weeks, depending on where you are, things are awful. David, you were talking about like, do we close up shop or not close up, but do we, do we go in preservation mode and, and how are we going to look at those sales? We come out of that and and right away, people are saying, I want to move into a home today. And they look around and there is no existing homes on the market. And some builders have spec inventory. And if you remember, spec inventory is what got us in a lot of trouble last cycle is oh, that yes. builders had so many homes <laughs> that we're then having to, to get discounted just to move them. So this time around, completely different story and i'll be honest we were literally watching spec inventory and we were saying let's watch to make sure this doesn't go up you know this is what we saw last cycle not a concern because all of those homes that builders had sold because people wanted to move today take advantage of the low interest rates take advantage of more space a brand new home no one else has lived in it covid free all of that good stuff
0: oh that makes sense so yeah, then, i didn't really think about it that way you know i suppose uh yeah. um I mean, obviously people were confined to their homes, so that's going to kind of move that decision. But yeah, I didn't think of it that way with, you know, it's brand new and it's not like someone else lived in there and got their germs all over it. So that makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah. So then it becomes interesting because builders then sell through most of their spec inventory. You know, there's still some homes sitting there, but a lot of them then sold. And now builders are selling, they're, they're getting contract sales, but they had probably planned for 10% growth this year or 5% growth this year. They didn't plan for 30, 40, 50% growth. So now they're taking in all these contracts. They're looking at their lot positions. They have to say, okay, we sold these ones. We need to build these, but we also don't wanna make people upset. We have to you know, be careful with our customer service. David, you talked about the the labor shortages continuing to be a problem. Okay, do we have the capacity to do this? And there were supply chain issues. So now builders have a lot of contracts and they have to work through that backlog through the rest of this year into the early parts of next year.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And I think we're seeing the exact same thing. We're going through the exact same thing right now. We have, we had a, a, a good amount of spec homes and we we're like, okay, with this going on, we're not going to start anything more. We're going to kind of keep our powder dry, so to speak. And it was quiet for a little bit. Then all of a sudden, like as soon as our lockdown lifted, it was like the lid blew off the thing. And we had sold <laughs> like four condos within a week and we're like, holy cow. Um, and then- <laughs> you know, I looked around and I'm like, I have like three houses in finished inventory right now. And mm-hmm. it takes so long to start them too. So it's like, okay, now I got to get more in the pipeline here. And then I have other customers that are under contract now to want me to build them a home. And so I've got, you know, five, six of those. And I'm like, I can't even start a model right now or a spec because I've got to take care of the people I already have under contract. So yeah, there's like the first part of next year is just going to be crazy for us because we're going to be we're jammed already, and uh, you know you don't want to turn away business, but you also, the way we do things, we're not a high volume outfit, so uh, we're kind of a semi-custom. So we're going to do a certain amount, and that's about it. So we could get to the point where next year, if this continues, where we're like, okay, you know, either there's a waiting list, or or you know, you might need to find somewhere else um, if you want this right away, because we're just not going to be able to deliver uh, that quickly, and we don't want to compromise what we're doing.
1: Yeah. And you guys are not unique in that sense too, because we've been talking to builders big and small across the country. And I think it was 30%, maybe closer to 40% of builders that said that they're intentionally slowing their contract sales for that reason. Exactly. They have said, we have five homes to sell this month. And once we sell those five homes, we're not taking anything else. So to your point, like maybe you'll go somewhere else, maybe you'll wait till our release next month, but they're trying to not only ensure that they're able to build the homes you know, in a timely manner, but they also wanna preserve some of their lots because I'm sure as you guys look at the land and, and the acquisitions that you've done, you probably didn't plan to sell through these homes as such a rapid race that you are right now too.
0: Yeah, and land, you, you know, I didn't have this as a question for you, but it's a big issue for our industry and that's just lot availability and, and I'll give you a little snippet here from Wisconsin. So um, back before the recession, we had plotted... Um, in our seven county area, like 5,000 lots in a year. And uh, I looked back in the last couple of years, um, we were plotting about 800. And and we're permitting like 4,000 homes a year. So you look at that and go, that's not going to sustain itself very long. Uh when you're permitting, you know, so many more homes than the lots that you're creating. And it's taking so long to create these lots. So that's definitely... um, that's the biggest problem we're seeing for a lot of our buyers is they want to buy a new home, but they can't find an appropriate site and they're going to these B and C sites and you're like, this is, this is a mess. I, I would stay away from this one. And they're having trouble really finding a place to go.
1: Well, and that's a, a great point too, because in these surveys that we've been doing with builders, the number one answer that we get, which is their biggest issue is running out of lots and land. And then the next biggest answer is land costs. And so we, we went through a merger, like I said, Zonda used to be Metro Study and Myers Research. We, through the Metro Study side, had access to a whole bunch of land data. And one of the data pieces, it was vacant developed lots. So lots that you could start and turn into a home right away. We were looking at the data and we decided to create a lot index. And we looked at the lot index by market and we said, okay, this is what equilibrium should be, so the market would be healthy at this, and you know it probably won't get at equilibrium. So if it's a little bit lower, this is where it is, um, and you know along the line, we basically have, I think, every single market except one that, according to the transactions that are happening today, the starts and the vacant developed lots, they're all significantly undersupplied. Like this is not a a one market problem. Just this is not regional, just an LA yeah, this... or New York problem. Yeah, this is <laughs> and this is Minneapolis as much as it is you know, Orlando and New York city.
0: Yeah. And, uh, I, I can see that. And, um, you know, I think one of the, we'll kind of move on to this other topic in a sec, but one of my pet peeves is the amount of regulation and the amount of time it takes to get a project mm-hmm. through. And so I'm, I'm in the family business. My father started it many years ago and I used to remember he would, you know, have something drawn up and you go to the municipality, get it approved. And, um, you know, you're, you're building it in that same season. And that doesn't happen anymore. Now you're like two, two and a half years, at least where I am, to get something from a concept designed and through all the different uh, entities and counties and you know DNRS and federal agencies and different things, and getting it to the point where you can actually, you know, put a shovel to the ground and start building the site. So, do you think that's obviously playing into uh, this issue as uh, is the amount of regulation and the time it takes to? to get something shovel-ready?
1: Oh, no doubt, yeah. When you look at, I mean, you must be facing every single one of these, but it's that zoning and and the fees too, which obviously are are a, a big struggle depending on where you live, all that kind of regulation, the input costs, the land, the lots, the labor, there are just so many factors really working against builders at a time that there's nothing really, the US economy needs more than more home building.
0: Yep, so it's a yeah. Really, uh, we gotta yeah. We got to get that message. Yeah. We got to get that message up the chain to our elected officials because I, and that's one of the, my, my passions is I'm, I'm big on housing affordability. I'm big on reducing regulation. We build very safe homes. They're, they're safer and better than they ever have been. And um, you know, one of the issues is with time, like a lot of times municipalities are like, well, this will just cost you a month. And it's like, well, yeah, but when you're yeah. holding this vacant land that's not producing any <laughs> assets for the builder mm-hmm. that a month is is a month more of interest payments and a month is, you know, potentially, you know, if I have to send it back to my engineer now I have more engineering costs and I have yeah. you know um, another submittal fee and, and and it just goes on and on and I don't think elected officials unfortunately realize those those soft costs that that come with those delays and it's it's frustrating for sure.
1: Well, and it's funny because Then they come back to you and they say, "David, why aren't these prices within a reasonable range? Why are these expensive homes?" And it's like, "Well, you have to step back and look at how many of those not only are those additional costs that you're talking about, but just costs of general regulation um, across the board." So it is a.
0: And you touched on the impact fees, and that's another one too. And um, you know, a lot of times we've done studies here locally, and you know, we'll we'll show that you know a new home pays for, for itself for over 15 years. And municipalities will say the opposite. They'll say, well, you know, um, you're, you're adding more stress under our system. So that's why we're putting in these impact fees. And, you know, here in Wisconsin, a $1,000 added to the cost takes out like 3,800 buyers right off the market. Um, and so, yeah. you know, we try and bring that data to them. And that's why it's so important that you do what you do. And you create this this data and these talking points for us because, you know, we're on the front lines every day and we're, we're struggling yeah. sometimes with... Um, getting people to realize what's going on here. And a lot of people think, oh, the builders are only building these giant homes because that's what they can make money on. It's like, no, we'll build what people want.
1: The problem Mm -hmm. is a lot of
0: times we're already funneled into a certain thing before we even start. We buy a piece of land that's next to a nice subdivision. They're not going to let you put in homes that are half the size. Um, And the neighbors will come out with their pitchforks, right? So we (laughs) we have to try and build something similar. And then that automatically kind of puts your price point up before you even start it. Yeah. So um, let's just talk briefly about housing affordability. And um, what do you think are some other issues that might be causing these affordability issues? Obviously, we know there's some lumber issues out there and things like that. What, What do you see as the biggest culprit right now?
1: Yeah, well, I think the biggest thing beyond everything we talked about is just that supply and demand mismatch. The fact that both on the building side and on the existing home side, there's not enough inventory to match the idea that we're now kind of Hitting that peak age of millennials where they're ready to buy homes. Maybe their parents have some money in the stock market or have some equity that they're willing to help them. That's going to create a certain group of millennials that can buy homes. But then if you don't have the bank of mom and dad and you're just trying to save money, it's really hard for you to go out and compete against investors and against other people that have a bigger down payment. And then all of these different groups that are trying to buy are then just pushing up the price, which is technically being pushed up by demand being there, but it's really kind of creating this group of haves and have nots of who can actually come up with the right amount of money and come up with those closing costs and the down payment to be able to make the mortgage payment.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. And um, I think we're seeing too, like a lot of the the baby boomers are probably like, I'm not going to sell my house right now because I can't find anything Mm -hmm. else that's suitable that I want to live in. And so normally you would have them maybe moving out of those homes and those younger, you know, millennial buyers buying those, but I don't think they're hitting the market at a, a fast enough rate to uh, take those, you know, take that inventory and put it on the market.
1: Well, not at all. And I, I think the only interesting thing I would say about this year in particular with affordability is we went back and we looked at all these different top markets across the country and we looked at, okay, what is the median price over, you know, let's say the past 10 years, and what was the interest rate? And then we back calculated the monthly payment of the different mortgages. And in a lot of markets today, even though top line, so like the price you pay on buying a $400,000 house looks way more expensive than where it was five years ago. In some markets, we're seeing that the monthly payment, obviously, because of interest rates is now within reason, it's actually lower than where it was in some markets in 2015 and 2016. So we have to watch that, but that goes back to our discussion earlier, is that great right now, but interest rates should not be below 3% five years from now. And then that creates even more concerns about, okay, what should we be looking at in the future? Because if we're already facing some affordability problems right now, it's going to only get worse going down the line.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We would not be building what we are or seeing as many homes sold if the interest rates weren't bottomed out right now. There's there's no doubt about yeah. it. And that's, uh, yeah, it's kind of artificially boosting our industry, but you just hope it doesn't uh, take away from the future prospects of, of our industry mm-hmm. for sure. Um, so we, we kind of touched on this briefly and I want to just gather a little bit more of your thoughts on this, but uh, um, obviously COVID had a big effect on real estate. And um, I guess just from your perspective as an economist, what like, how, how have you seen an effect and, and kind of where do you see things going as, as we hopefully get to the tail end of this?
1: Yeah, so I would say two big things I want to mention on this. The first is when you, so Marketplace, the, you know, the podcast that talks about um, economics, they had done a, a big survey of people and they said, why have you moved or why are you going to move? And the number one reason is that flexibility that comes with work from home. And so we know work from home has been a big driver for our space, but we're basically eight months into this pandemic and work from home, uh, really important. People want more space, or maybe they're more willing to drive further away than they would have. If we can trust some of the estimates on the vaccine, let's say eight months from now, things start to look a little bit more normal. That puts us halfway through those work from home days. So that still puts us another eight months that there's this heightened demand because all of a sudden our lifestyle has completely changed. And I know there's a lot of fear about these, like the shutdowns 2.0, like the fact that we're going into winter and and a lot of things are are shutting down. If what happened earlier this year holds true, it's actually not bad for housing again, because we know that that just forces the idea that you're at home more than you've been really in your life. And it's your bar and it's your library and it's your movie theater. So that could be, as long as you don't see a lot more job losses, that could be uh, an additional positive for the housing market.
0: Yeah. And that was, uh, I'll i will pat myself on the back on one thing here. And that was one thing I postulated earlier on on the podcast when, when the lockdown hit as I said, you know, homes are going to get bigger. People are going to be putting more creature comforts into them because you're, you're stuck there. And I mean, you still mm-hmm. maybe want to feel like you're out at a movie or you, you want to go to the bar or you want to work out and you don't even want to go to a workout place. So people are in- integrating those features or remodeling uh, or they're asking for those in the new home. So I definitely see that happening um, on our uh-huh. end. Uh, um, the other thing I wanted to touch on with this topic is the suburban shift that we're seeing. And, uh, it, you know, is that, uh, is that something that uh, you're seeing, you know, data on? I've heard about it. It seems like obviously people are moving out of the, the bigger city and kind of going into the rural areas. Do uh, you have anything that you can enlighten us on with that?
1: Yeah, so we have been hearing about it as well, and in our database, know that we just checked the new home market, but we look at 18,000 actively selling communities across the country, and so everyone had been talking about that, and we were like, well, we have the data. We can tell where people are buying homes, and so we pulled our stats, and I believe it was over 40% of markets have seen a shift away from the central business district, so exactly what you would imagine. They were living slightly closer to downtown, or that's where the best sales rates were, were closer to downtown. Now it's gone really to the more than 25 miles from the central business district. And that's a shift for a lot of markets. In a few markets, I would say that 15 to 25 is still the, the ideal location. That's where you're going to see the most sales. But you've definitely seen the suburban shift becoming more real in some markets, going back to, again, what we talked about with affordability.
0: Okay, that makes sense. And it's it's nice to hear the data on it. I know we've talked about that as a theory, but I didn't really hear a lot of numbers behind it. And uh, mm-hmm. it, it makes sense. And it, again, if people are working from home, the commute becomes irrelevant, right? Or if they only have to commute, mm-hmm. you know, let's say they're going to a really low capacity at their office, maybe they only have to commute, commute one day a week or a couple of times a month. Um, that makes it a little easier to live further away, right? When you don't have to sit in the car for an hour. Um, or even if you do have a longer drive, there's less traffic on the road, right? So that, yes,
1: well, that's actually a, an interesting point, though, because I was talking to this idea of traffic. I was talking to a builder who they had these these lots really far away, like a location that wasn't doing very well pre-pandemic, and now is the, the hottest community they have. And if I remember correctly, it was something like a forty-minute drive from the central business district today. And I would say the builder had said, kind of in confidence, which is why I'm not saying who the builder is, they had basically said, I'm afraid that a lot of people are buying here today, because they're working from home. And two, because this doesn't seem like a bad location to buy right now. But they said, when traffic does come back, because it will, at least to a a pretty, um, a lot greater than what it is today, they're afraid that people are going to have really big buyer's remorse of why did I move so far away? you know, this is actually, you know, a, a 60 minute drive to get to my job and hey, I have to go three times a week and doing that three times a week just doesn't work. And so they were afraid that there's going to be some kind of snapback that we see, maybe it's not 12 months from now, maybe it's 24 months from now that you start to see some inventory on the fringe come up as people are trying to get closer to the central business district again.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And I think the other obviously X factor into that, not just the time, but would be the fuel prices, you know, obviously the different administration, they've got a different view on, um, fuel and, and, uh, mm-hmm. uh you know, uh, all that kind of environmental things. So, you know, if gas goes up and it doubles in price, um, you know, that, that longer drive, it, even if it's just to the grocery store or the longer drive to your job, uh, yeah, I think that all uh, people will kind of go back to, uh, you know, those centralized city areas again. So it's, it'll be kind of interesting to watch. It's amazing how a couple little data points like that can, um, you, know, you can kind of gather that and you can just see these, these trends emerge. And that's, that's, what's so fascinating about applying economics and stuff to, to our industry. You can see these things and, mm-hmm. and, and postulate on them and then see them happen. So that's, that's, mm-hmm. that's why we have you on here. So um, mm. what uh, kind of, as we're getting to the end here, what, what other trends are you seeing in the housing industry that, uh, that, that you think are notable that, that people might uh, uh, get, a, get some good information on?
1: I think one of the most important things to me is as we step back and we think about 2019, when we were sitting here and we were saying, okay, what's 2020 going to look like? And, oh, this is going to be the year of the millennial because like I said, we're hitting that peak age and there's a lot of reasons why first-time buyers and those under let's say 40 would be wanting to buy a home today. I think what we've seen from the pandemic though is while millennials are certainly active, we have, I think, Gen X are the most active we've seen them since you know, 2005, 2006, so we have a whole bunch of Gen Xers that are sitting on equity. Their lifestyle has changed. They're working from home. Maybe their kids are schooling from home. They've really had to think about what are their priorities. And so we're seeing a lot of activity from the Gen Xers and from the boomers. And so the reason I bring this up is usually you see, or mostly you talk about the barbell of the demographics. You're like, oh, what are the boomers doing? What are the millennials doing? It's really fun for me to see really every part of the of the demographic Graphs coming to life and coming out looking to buy homes today, which again is a good and a bad, because we talked about some of the problems having so much growth is causing on the builder
0: front. Yep, no, that makes sense, and uh, you know I think everybody's been affected by this, so I think a lot of people just have, based on their situations changing, um, you know, whenever you have a a life-changing event, whether it's employment or whatever, that's that's going to potentially change your need for housing, and so that's why it's probably affecting. All, all demographics. Yeah, um, I agree with that. Okay. And
1: then I also want to add, if you look at the savings rates, you look at normal, in normal years, a six to 8% personal savings rate of how much of our income do we then um, keep or do we spend, it's gone up to record levels. So people, because again, you're, you're not able to go out and spend money the same way you wanted to, you're not going to bars, you're not going on planes, you're not going to weddings, all of that has actually been really good for the housing market because, again, one of the biggest issues is coming up with some of that down payment money. Now we've been forced to save, and I think that's allowed um, some of the people along the different demographic graphs to be able to come out as well.
0: That's a fantastic point, and I'm glad you brought that up. That wasn't even something I was thinking of, so thank you for, for bringing that up. Uh, so just shifting gears real quick uh, to 2021, uh, quick thoughts on, on 2021. What kind of year are we expecting for housing?
1: And let me say, we think that there's still a risk of a double dip recession. So that's not our base case. So when I say our forecast, we're not accounting for that. But just do know that there are some economic risks that are still out there. And I'll feel good. If we get the stimulus, I'll change my mind. But right now, I still feel like there's a little bit of risk on the economic front. Assuming... Things continue, you know, we're, we're in a recovery right now. We're not growing as fast as we were, but hey, we're growing and we're bringing people back and we have a lot of good factors um, it, it, suggesting that growth could continue. We believe that sales will be about flat. I think our forecast is 1.5% above where we'll finish 2020. And that's mostly because of those supply constraints that we talked about. It's not that people have decided they don't wanna buy homes. It's just that it's really hard to get enough lots the market to be able to, especially at the right price point, to be able to grow from and on top of the crazy growth that we've had this year. Uh, For starts, though, we're calling for about a 13% increase. But part of that goes back to our discussion of homes that are sold, but not yet built. So we think some of that backlog of this year is going to pull those starts higher, which is why we have that gap between our starts and our sales forecasts.
0: Okay, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Because it takes a couple months from a contract typically to a a permit. And you guys are, I'm sure, tracking permits. So that leg you'll easily push into next year and may inflate those numbers a little bit. I think that makes total sense. So is there anything Allie, that uh, I didn't ask that you want to cover? Gosh, I don't
1: think so. I think we covered a lot. I will say, I don't want to end on a, on a cautionary note, but I will say, I think you mentioned a little bit earlier about accelerating timelines. And I would say the one thing that a lot of our builder clients are, are just watching out for is, how much of our demand is pulled forward, which again is a reason that we have sales flat. But again, they're flat at the highest level since 2006. So that should actually be put in context as we're calling for a very solid um, 2021 for home sales. But let's just watch for what happens in the later years, talking more of 2023, 2024, of how much of our demand did we really enjoy in 2020 that could have theoretically been spread out over these years instead of having one really, really awesome year.
0: Sure, and that makes sense. And I think that's definitely something to be concerned with. Is you know, with the low rates and and the 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 rapid changes here, do people make decisions quickly based on the situation, and and then um, either take themselves out of the market later, or, or it could be the opposite, where they're like, "I made a decision quickly. I just bought something to get into it, and and now I want what I really want." So yeah, it'll be interesting to kind that's of see sure. how that yeah. shakes out. Um, so so, Ellie, um, someone wanted to learn a little bit more about your company, where would they get a hold of you at?
1: Yep. So my email is awolf at zondahome.com. And as you mentioned, we're both quite active on LinkedIn. So you can find me on LinkedIn under Allie Wolf. Um pretty straightforward. And then I can point you to any kind of data that our company has to offer from there.
0: Fantastic. Well once again I want to say thank you to Allie Wolf of Zonda for joining the Home Building Hero today. If you guys enjoyed today's episode, please make sure to share it. And if you haven't already hit that subscribe button, that way you won't miss any future content. And once again, if you have any questions, you can reach out to us on our website, homebuildinghero.com or send us an email, homebuildinghero at yahoo.com. Once again, I'm David Bellman, president of Bellman Homes. Thank you so much for tuning into the Homebuilding Hero, and we'll talk to you very soon.